Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, the reporting of last year's hate incident at Gage Park during the Pride celebrations is expected to be unveiled next week. Graham Crawford joins us on the program to talk about that. Andrew Goldberg will be here, too, with his weekly segment about employment law in the wake of COVID-19. And protests continue over the death of George Floyd. Black Lives Matter activists are calling on agencies in City Hall to get with the program. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. June, of course, is Pride Month, as it has been for many, many years. And uh, there was a, a raising, not an official raising, but a raising of the Pride flag at Hamilton City Hall. Uh, but, of course, there was no meeting. There was no uh, discussion among anybody with Hamilton Pride or anybody else about this. Uh, let's face it, there's still an awful lot of bad feelings, I think, about what happened last year and what has happened in past years. Uh, and the relationship between Hamilton City Council, Hamilton Police, and members of the uh, the LBGTQ community. Uh, Cameron Coach is a member of that group, and uh, he told us yesterday that, uh, well, you know, you just can't close your eyes to what was going on. When people in your city are violently attacked, your response shouldn't be to, uh, you know, use a pink wash or rainbow washing thing to say, hey, I'm going to put this flag up, when in the, in the intervening year you haven't done a single thing um, to try and make the situation better. Well, uh, we are one year later after that terrible incident at uh, Gage Park and the subsequent rallies that used to happen just about every weekend in front of Hamilton City Hall. Yesterday, when uh, we were talking with Cameron, uh, we asked about this report that uh, was supposed to be coming out, independent report by uh, Scott Bergman, a Toronto lawyer. Now we find out it's going to be released on Monday uh, to everybody. You'll be able to read it. I'll be able to read it. Uh, the city councillors will be able to read it. And Hamilton Police Services Board, obviously, are going to get a copy or two, I would imagine, as well. So what can we expect, and what can we expect in the way of changes? I want to bring Graham Crawford into the conversation. Uh, Graham, of course, is a local business person, history and heritage owner, uh, former citizen of the year, of course, and somebody who has been very vocal about uh, these incidents over the last little while. Uh, Graham, it's been a while. Good to have you back in the program. Thanks so much. Bill, it has been a while, but I'm very happy to be back. Well, you're just like I am. We're staring at four walls for the last uh, six or eight weeks here. Oh, a little longer than that, I'm Yeah, I think so. Well, it seems like about five years, doesn't it? But however, it's all for a good cause, and yes, that's what indeed. we're trying to do here. Uh, give me a read on this. You and, you and I had a number of discussions last year after the, the incident at Gage Park. and uh, Well, actually, I guess, I guess it predates that because the actual raising of the flag last year was somewhat controversial because the uh, uh, the representatives of that committee said the, they didn't want to have any part of this. And there's a, there's a let's face it, there's some bad blood between city council uh, and, and members of, of the community, uh, Hamilton Pride and others. Uh, and Hamilton Police, of course, are involved in this in, in a way, shape, or form, too. Maybe from a, a, a perspective of, of where you have been in this and, and, and the interest that you've shown and the leading role you've taken in trying to get people to talk about this, what are you expecting from this report on Monday, first of all? Well, first of all, Bill, I'm, I'm glad the report is finally coming out. And it was delayed only because I, mean, I actually do believe it was ready uh, according to the deadline, which was the end of April. Mm-hmm. But the COVID uh, crisis got in the way, because I know that uh, Scott Bergman, the the lead lawyer on this, uh, wanted to hold a a group meeting, a community meeting, where he Mm -hmm. would release the findings and so on, and that ain't going to happen, obviously. Sure. So finally, he's decided to release it on Monday, and I'm also very pleased that we're all seeing it at precisely the same time. So the police aren't getting an advance copy, nor the mayor, nor anyone else. We all see are being treated equally. That's a good thing. In terms of what what it's going to say, I have no idea, Bill. What I can tell you is that I was one of the people who was interviewed by Scott Bergman and his uh, colleague, and I'd say for about 90 minutes. So it was a pretty intensive interview, free-ranging. They asked a ton of questions, uh, and I spoke on the record. And I spoke very openly about what, what I knew about it, and I know they interviewed a whole bunch of other people. So I believe that if they fairly represent what members of the LGBTQ plus community said to them, that will be a good thing. What the police said to them, I have no idea. But I must say, Bill, even recently, as recently as yesterday uh, and or Monday, Chief Gert is, is quote, communicating officially um, and is indicating, in my view, based on, on what he has done and said, one is a video, the other is a, is a formal statement. He's still tone-deaf, out of touch, and doesn't get it. He's not building a relationship with his community. He's done no outreach whatsoever. Um, the last 
correspondence we, we had from them uh, was pre-COVID. Uh, there's nothing. Uh, the statement doesn't reflect any communication with any member, leader uh, of the LGBTQ plus community. The video they did with the chief standing, holding up this rainbow frame with him in it saying, we're working on building our relationship with the community. I said, well, you know, I, I see that. Number one, Bill, the chief is wearing a bulletproof vest. And I'm telling you, what says happy pride better than a bulletproof vest uh, worn by our chief? Like, what doesn't he get? We've talked to him about this, this militarization of the police, and it doesn't help. But he goes ahead and does it again and again and again. He just doesn't get it. So, Bill, I don't know what the report's going to say. I am optimistic, I will say. I may be wrong, but I, my sense of the kinds of questions I was asked and the follow-up questions to my responses suggest that, they were, that the lawyers, Scott Bergman in particular, is the partner in the firm, uh, and it's a big Toronto firm. It's a, yeah. it's a very legit firm. Uh, I think they were listening. Let me ask you about that. I want to delve a little bit more into that, if I could, Graham. Uh, I, I, I had... Mr. Bergman on the program, I guess, when he was uh, announced uh, as the guy that was going to be the, the lead on this whole thing. But that was, as you know, months and months ago. Yeah. Uh, what was your impression as you, as you sat down for that rather extensive interview? Uh, uh, you know, is this a guy who's not going to pull punches? Is this a guy who's going to be candid about this? I mean, uh, let's face it. When there's a, an interview like that, as intense as that one was and as long as that one was, uh, you learn as much about the interviewer as, as they do about you. It's an excellent point, Bill, and it's absolutely true. I was, you know... Uh, measuring him up as he was me in, in, sure. in my my uh, testimony. Um, so I'll tell you what, I, I and I could be wrong, I, I, I've been around, you know, a couple of years mm-hmm. uh, and in business for many, many years with, you know, doing international work. I don't believe I get snowed easily, but, you know, it could happen. But i got to tell you, I walked away from that interview thinking, I think we're in reasonable hands here. If this guy... Is, is as open and as forthcoming and as good a listener as he was in the last 90 minutes that I spent with him, uh, then I'm, I'm confident we might actually end up with a fair report. The biggest concern I have with the report is not the reporting of what people said to him, because I believe they will, and I hope, they will fairly represent that. My biggest concern is that of the 13 um, uh, statements that, that in, ter- in terms of the terms of reference, a couple of them dealt with investigating the police culture. And I remember saying to you a long time ago when we first talked about this, that is a major undertaking. And I just don't know if they had the time or resources or the experience to do a cultural assessment. Um, what you can't do, a, you cannot you rely on when you do a cultural assessment is the police tell you how many training courses they're running and how many people they've put through it. So how many graduates have been through their, you know, sensitivity training or whatever. That is a measure. But you and I both know you can attend a session and walk away with nothing. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not suggesting that's going on, but uh, well, I, I am. I mean, Graham, I went to I, okay, I went to calculus class for five years in high school too, and none of that stuck with me. Okay, you and me uh, both. So, but we know that, and and we do know some of that stuff already from conversations with that that we've had with police services, and and well, our, our friend Deirdre Pike, of course, has been working with them. I, I mean, the police for quite some time right now with some of these classes. Uh, you know, you can ask the question, and I'm sure that just somewhere in the course of these interviews, Mr. Bergman did ask the question uh, whether or not the message that's coming across is resonating with uh, everybody who's going to be out on the street. We don't know that. But, uh, you know, that, that's what it comes right down to right now. I mean, you, you, you judge by your actions, not by the fact that you ticked a box and said, I went to a certain session. Well, indeed. Uh, in fact, Bill, let me just, you know, remind your, your audience and all of us that uh, I attended uh, a half day of the hearing of uh, Matthew Green's case against the police for his carding, being stopped for car- and carded. And I l- listened to uh, the police officer uh, who went up to, to Matthew Green, had the exchange with him. Uh, Matthew's lawyer asked the, that police officer a whole bunch of questions about the training that he had received. And he probably asked him about 10 questions. I think I'm right there. It certainly wasn't uh, three or four. It was probably 10. The officer said he could not remember a single thing. And I don't mean he couldn't remember a lot. He couldn't remember anything. And he said that under oath. I raised this with Chief Gert at one of our LGBTQ plus liaison meetings. 
and he dodged the question. I've raised it twice, and he dodges the question. It's indication that the training isn't sticking, uh, and or people are, it's a perfunctory thing. People are ticking boxes. I put in my time, I did the hours, and I don't care what they said. I'm not going to try to remember any of it. So, the, And I told that, by the way, to, to Scott Bergman in at my inquiry interview. I gave him that example, and I said, this guy was under oath. And I told the chief, what happened? What did you do as a follow-up? Because presumably you know this happened. And the chief dodged the question. And you know what, Bill? If you had the chief on in the next five minutes, he dodged the question again because he doesn't want to answer because it's a difficult and uncomfortable question. Well... Which leads me to my next question. Uh, once this is released, and by the way, you can count on the fact that we will dissect this thing when it does come out next uh, Monday, and, and I'm sure you'll be back on and others uh, on, on all sides of this issue to try to get some perspective on, on what's going on. But from your perspective right now, Graham, uh, the report's released. Everybody's read it. When, is, what's going to happen? Uh, is it, this is not binding in any way, shape, or form. We don't even know if there's going to be any recommendations in this thing. Uh, we'd like to think that there will be, but how is it going to be received, and 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 what benefit are we going to be uh, derived yep. from this? That's I think the question everybody seems to have now. Well, I'll tell you, Bill. You know, uh, I believe that I could right now write Chief Gert's response to it before he reads the report, and I believe right now I could write Fred Eisenberger's. Uh, response to this. And it's all going to be, you know, thank you so much. We've learned a lot. Clearly, there are tensions, but we've got to work together to overcome this. And we are committed to building, you know, blah, blah, blah. They say it every time, and it means nothing. It's like Fred Eisenberger's answer just the other day about body cams. It was all just blah, blah, blah. We're still looking into them and trying to find the right balance. It's like, get on with it. This isn't that difficult. This isn't brain surgery. Yes or no, you're going to put the cameras on or you're not. And why don't you want to put the cameras on, for example? So, Bill, I'm worried that we're going to get the standard perfunctory communications professional response. It won't come from the heart and it will be meaningless. When it comes to the community, I think we're going to do a better job. I think we're going to read the thing and react to what we read. Um, and if I'm wrong, and if Chief Gert says, Recommendation number four, really hit home and we're really concerned. Here's what we're going to do about it, and I take this very seriously. And here are the actions. Here's my allocation of resources, budget, people, etc. Fine. Then I'll, then I'll eat my words, and, and I'll be happy to come back on your show, Bill, and apologize. But I don't think I'm going to need to. Well, we'll certainly have those conversations with the chief, with the mayor, and with everybody else that's involved in this. And, and I think what a lot of us are looking for especially on this issue, and, and it's, it's, it's very, I think, uh, instructive to know that what we're talking about right now, while we're watching the, 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 the protests that are happening worldwide now, uh, which emanated, of course, from Minnesota, uh, is what we're looking for now is, is some candid and honest comments from the, our elected leaders. Um, I thought we got it from the Prime Minister yesterday when they asked him about racism in this country. He did not give a pat answer. No, he did not. I uh, and, and I thought, you know, that made a lot of people uncomfortable. But you know what? That's the job. And, and, and that's what, the, you know, we, we elect these people and we look to them in situations like this. Uh, and I, I guess the thing that bothers an awful lot of people is here we are now on the, the 3rd of June, almost a year to the day uh, when this controversy started, and nothing's been resolved. Oh, not only not resolved, Bill, I mean, it, it's barely been addressed in any way. I mean, there's been some perfunctory meetings. The chief, and as you know, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, has been, was on your show and said some outrageous stuff after uh, the Pride Day violence about sex in public washrooms and pedophilia and, uh, you know, and anal sex. And I'm, I'm quoting him, so I'm not saying something that's inappropriate. Um, and then the chief makes a statement yesterday, and the first paragraph in the statement talks about racism and violence in the United States, as if we didn't have any in Hamilton. It's like, chief, what are you talking about the states for? Why don't you talk about Hamilton and the Hamilton police force and the mistakes they've made? But, it, but it's a dodge. It's like, look over there. Look how horrible they are. Now let's talk about working together in Hamilton. That's literally, by the way, the official statement from the chief of police uh, of the city of Hamilton yesterday, as recently as yesterday. Look at those horrible Americans and all the racism down there. Now let's talk about how we can get along in Hamilton. Uh, that, I, I can't even believe how tone deaf that is, but it is. That's what he continues to do. 
and as I said to you, that that pride frame while he's holding it, while he's wearing a bulletproof vest and pretending that we're building, doing stuff to rebuild the relationship with the community, it ain't happening. And I'm sorry, but this guy either needs to go or he needs to be retrained. And our uh, HPS board, led by Fred Eisenberger, is not going to step up to that challenge. I, for one, I elect to make some changes in the coming, in the coming election. Uh, this is not uh, sustainable. Uh, it's inappropriate. It's wrong. And we need change. Graham, we'll stay in touch, and I'm sure you and I will be talking in the next couple of days once we uh, get our hands on this report. Thanks for this today, though. Bill, I appreciate it very much. Graham Crawford, of course. Uh, and we'll be back with him and others. And by the way, we'll also talk to the chief and, and the mayor and others uh, as this report comes out on Monday and uh, give them ample opportunity to respond to it uh, in, in however they feel necessary. And yes, there are questions that still have to be asked and answered about this. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Andrew's an employment lawyer and associate at Sanfiro 2 Markin LLP, employmentlawyer.ca, uh, the webpage. Of course, you hear these guys uh, every weekday, or weekend rather, here on CHML, uh, talking about legal advice and a number of different things that are going on. And of course, in this age of COVID, we all have a million questions about what's going on at work, whether or not we're going to get called back to work, what are our rights, what uh, what can the employer do, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so uh, we are so pleased to welcome Andrew Goldberg back to the Bill Kelly Show. Andrew, good morning. Thanks for, uh, so much for joining us today. No problem, Bill. Happy to be back. Listen, I'm, this is very timely. I'm glad we do this every week. But uh, we had a, a segment yesterday. It was about a change that uh, the Ontario government made. Uh, Doug Ford announced this just a couple of days ago. Uh, and it has to do with layoff regulations. And uh, I think you've mentioned this on a previous show, that uh, the way things had stood, and for quite some time, I guess, was if, if you're laid off, uh, we all know how, how traumatic that can be. But after a certain period of time, you're effectively out of work. I mean, they, they simply say, okay, you're not coming back, and, and you're dismissed. They've extended that now to say there is no time frame for that. There is no end date for that. Uh, and now on the surface, Andrew, it sounds like not a bad idea because that way you don't have to, you know, the employer doesn't have to worry about paying some severance and they can just say, just stay with us here, Andrew. When we get back on our feet, you're going to be there. That sounds great. But boy, as with everything else that they announce here as policy, uh, there's a lot of uh, questions about how this is going to impact the employee and the employer. Maybe you could shed some light on that for us. Definitely. So there's been a lot of discussion about this new regulation and quite frankly, based on how fast it was rushed out, um, you know, with no warning or consultation at all, uh, there's a lot of questions that people have. So I'll try to be as clear and kind of simple as possible about it. For your listeners that don't know, there was a new regulation put in place. And what that's effectively done, it said that if you were put on a temporary layoff sometime after March 1st, then that's transformed into something called an infectious disease leave of absence. So you're now on an unpaid leave of absence. So as you indicated previously, if you were placed on a temporary layoff, after 13 weeks in most cases, if you weren't recalled to work, your employment would be deemed to be terminated. So regardless of you as an employee doing anything, regardless of the employer doing anything, 13 weeks elapsed, uh, your employment would be considered terminated. Uh, what this regulation does, uh, you know, in theory, is extend that. So now you're on this leave of absence as long as you were put on the layoff after March 1st. And that leave of absence will last not indefinitely, but six weeks after the end of the emergency order. So right now the emergency order is scheduled for June 30th. Six weeks after that is approximately mid-August. So it's, it's, it's at that point that uh, the, the leave of absence will end. But just uh, on that point, though, Andrew, yep. uh, as we know, the premier's already extended that those emergency services three times. So uh, if you're in that that's, that limbo situation right there, uh, that can go on. It could go on indefinitely if he keeps extending this. I mean, it could, it could be over in the middle of August. It could be over in, in, in December. I mean, it's really up to the premier, isn't it? Agreed entirely. So that is uh, very concerning for people. But... You know, now that I've kind of laid the, fra uh, the framework on that, there, there is one thing that I'd like to make very clear. Yeah. You know, we talked about this before previously as well, where even if you were put on a temporary layoff, which could have lasted 13 weeks, <clears throat> in some cases up to 35 weeks, it never stopped you as an employee for, from pursuing your common law severance rights by claiming constructive dismissal. So you could still take your employer 
to court and you could say, I've been constructively dismissed because the employer had no right to put me on this layoff in the first place. And that still applies going forward with this new infectious disease leave of absence. So just because the Employment Standards Act rule has changed, that has no bearing on how a court will interpret um, whether the employer has the right to reduce your wages or eliminate your hours entirely. So what this new regulation applies to is both an elimination of hours, so similar to a temporary layoff, but you just don't have hours left anymore, or a reduction in earnings. But all that being said, courts will still apply the law in the same way that it's applied the law in the past, um, in all likelihood, which is if you are placed on temporary layoff, if the employer is cutting your wages, if your employer is cutting your hours, you still can pursue your full severance through the legal system. The only impact this has is on someone's minimum entitlements under the Employment Standards Act, but not their full uh, legal severance entitlements. So where does this leave? Let's 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 talk about that from the employee standpoint right now, because uh, I, I know how, how desperate and and, that, and frankly how frustrated enough a lot of people are because I mean they they're not in control of their situation right now uh, when they're in a circumstance like this, and I think a lot of people that did get laid off, uh, you know, back in well as of March seventeenth, I suppose, or fifteenth, when the premier announced that uh, this is what was going to be happening here in the province, uh, they don't understand exactly, you know what criteria are going to be used as to whether or not they're going to get called back to work or not. Uh, and in the meantime, I, I know that for the time being anyway, they can still claim the SIR benefit, and I'm sure many people have done that. But that doesn't run forever either. So, I mean, at some point, these people are going to have to make up their mind. Do I just hang here and wait for the phone to ring, or do I have to go and find something else someplace? Yes. So um, I couldn't agree more. In the past, if I was talking to an individual that was put on a temporary layoff, I could tell that individual, hey, listen, if, you know, it's up to you. We can right now pursue a claim for constructive dismissal based on the fact that your employer has taken away all of your hours of work. Okay? And a lot of these people said, okay, that's great, but if I have to be recalled in 13 weeks anyway, um, I'll just wait that out. Rather than sue, I'd rather just wait it out because if I'm not recalled in 13 weeks, I'll just be terminated at that point. I'll see what kind of severance I get at that point. But based on the new law, and as you said earlier in the call, if the government uh, continues to extend the emergency order and people don't know how long their leave of absence now is going to last, it's actually going to um, induce more people to pursue legal action because they're not going to want to wait indefinitely to get their severance entitlements or be recalled back to work. So I think in a lot of ways, a lot of people who were taking a wait-and-see approach before aren't going to do so now because they have no idea when they're going to be back to work. Um, right now it seems mid-August, but as you said, that could change uh, You know, in a week, in two weeks. That timeline can be pushed back and pushed back. So I think, if anything, a lot of employees now are going to pursue their common law severance entitlements by claiming constructive dismissal. So I think there's going to be a lot more lawsuits than there would have been otherwise. I'm not entirely sure this was a helpful piece of legislation, but I suppose that remains to be seen in some ways. Uh, Jamie, who's listening to our conversation here, uh, emails bkelly900chml.com uh, to ask Andrew, uh, should that employee, the ones I guess we've been talking about who may be involved in this now, uh, should they have a discussion with their employer about possible uh, severance and, and you know how much would I get if? Uh, good question. I'm not so sure, Jamie. I'll let Andrew answer that. Uh, I mean, you, you, anyone, any employee can. They're welcome to. I doubt that that conversation is going to go very far. That employer is going to take the position that you're not uh, terminated because of the new regulation. We can put you on this leave of absence however long we want. Um, so, you, no, you know, we're not giving you a severance and we're going to, you know, you'll be back at work six weeks after the emergency order ends. So, you know, what are you talking about? So, but by all means, someone can talk to their employer about that, but... It, you know, in, in all likelihood, what it's going to take is to start legal action against the employer and pursue a claim for constructive dismissal. I, I highly, highly doubt it's going to be as simple as going to have a conversation with your boss and saying, hey, uh, you know, I know I'm on this temporary layoff or this new leave of absence, but can you just package me out? So because the whole purpose of the regulation was to avoid these triggered severances where 
previously, if someone was temporarily laid off after 13 weeks, no matter what, um, in most cases, that would be considered a dismissal. So what the government did was put this in place to avoid all of those trigger terminations to ensure that companies aren't on the hook for tons of uh, severance payments at this time. So the only way for people to get their severance now is to pursue a constructive dismissal claim. Yeah, and as we've talked about on a couple of previous programs, uh, there's no hard and fast rule about severance at this stage, really. It's not as, I know some people, I think we talked about that last week, in fact, uh, you know, you know, I've been there for 10 years, so I should probably get at least 10 weeks or 10 months or whatever, you know, the, the rationale is. Uh, that might be a nice starting point, but you really don't know where you're going to get. Probably sending a bad message to your employer, too. Uh, you know, if you make that, that call and make, have that conversation, uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they got that, well, do I want this guy on my team? He doesn't seem to want to stick around, you know, during the hard times here. So, and that could put you in a rather precarious position. It's a, it's a really, I guess, really being between a rock and a hard place here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a, a great point. The, you know, your severance entitlements are going to differ based on your age, your length of service, your position in the company. Um, so there is no hard and fast rule. It, it's something that will be uh, situation specific, um, and, but but definitely, you know, with everything that's going on, there's there is quite a bit of confusion uh, in the workplace. Employees are confused now more than ever, and empo- employees are in an extremely vulnerable position right now. Tons of employees that thought that they'd have to be recalled to work um, in the next week or so are now being told, "Hey, this could continue until uh, mid-August." And, you know, I assume that the government will have to start looking into extending the CERB benefit because right now you can only yeah. get a maximum of 16 weeks of a CERB benefit. So I can't imagine a world where uh, the government's trying to take the position that, okay, we're going to allow employers to keep people on these leaves of absence for, you know, right now till mid-August. It could be later without putting any money into Canadians' pockets or, or Ontarians' pockets. So, you know, again, more money on, on that front as well. Uh, with respect to the SERB benefit, I can only imagine that that will be extended at some point. Got it. I'm going to change topics here for just a second. Actually, these are all variations on the same theme, of course, talking with Andrew Goldberg, uh, employment lawyer. Uh, you're working from home. I'm working from home. Many people are doing that these days. It's it's a different environment for a lot of us. Uh, but there is also going to be some decisions made at some point when we start getting back to whatever normal is going to be. Uh, that some employers are probably going to say, wait a second, this is working pretty well. Maybe uh, maybe I don't need uh, that individual anymore. Maybe, you know, because everybody's working remotely now, so I don't really need anybody in my Hamilton office. I can use some of the people from my company from, from Calgary or from Toronto or someplace like this, and you could be effectively losing your job to, to somebody else simply because they figured with this technology that we've got right now, we don't have to have physically people in these, these office buildings. That's a rather precarious, and I know it's kind of a, 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 a far-flung thing, but maybe not so far-flung when you think of it, Andrew. No, not at all. And I, I think the as a society, we were moving there anyway in that direction. It was a yeah, slower, maybe, yeah. It probably was a slower trajectory uh, pre-COVID. It, this has definitely expedited that um, extremely uh, in a lot of ways. Um, so, yeah, I mean, people are concerned if, there, you know, as more and more people work from home, how precarious is your employment? Uh, employee and companies might consider, okay, now that we aren't localizing our employees in a physical office as much as we used to, as you indicated uh, in your question, maybe we'll look to other cities in Ontario or other provinces or even other countries uh, to hire individuals to work remotely. So, uh, it could be a scary time for many people if you feel that uh, your job could be at jeopardy and outsourced uh, for a cheaper rate. Obviously, you know, people that live in Toronto proper and Hamilton proper might expect a higher compensation than people living in more remote remote parts of Ontario, right? So if you can get away with paying someone a little cheaper that lives um, kind of northern Ontario or, or somewhere where the cost of living and the cost of homes is much cheaper... An employer might consider moving your work to, to that individual. So that that's certainly something that's possible. And, and this is all predicated, I guess, on, on the fact that people that are in this precarious situation right now, if, you know, whether it's laid off or whatever phrase they, they used at the time, have, a, I think, for the most part, an expectation that, well, when things get back to, you know, where they're going to open the doors again or we're going to get back to that environment, of course I've got my job back. 
Uh, and that, there's no guarantee of that, though, is there? Well, under the new, I mean, it's it's a bit confusing, but under this new Ontario regulation, uh, you now have a right to reinstatement uh, six weeks after the end of the emergency order. So the big difference okay, between yeah. the layoff and this leave of absence is at the end of the layoff, the employment is simply terminated. So regardless if you want to claim constructive dismissal for being put on the layoff in the first place, or if you want to just ride the layoff out, at the end of that temporary layoff is the termination, you're owed severance, the company has to pay you severance, that's it. Now, the new leave of absence is almost treated more like a maternity leave, let's just say, where at the end of the maternity leave, you have a statutory right to return. So um, for individuals now, the, the one thing that's better about this leave of absence is your job is protected. You should be put back to your role or a comparable role six weeks after the end of the emergency order. Um, so that is a positive for employees. The negative, of course, is we just don't know how long that's going to last. Like when is when is the emergency order going to be lifted, and uh, how long? You know, and then we have to wait six weeks after that, right? So. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a lot of people, they're going to be off work. They could be off work for five, five months, six months by the end of this. And it's going to take a toll on a lot of people, especially lower earning people. Because if right now your only recourse to this is to pursue legal action against the company, a lot of lower uh, income people can't afford to get a lawyer. You know, uh, they quite simply can't. So um, that's scary. So they're kind of in a state of limbo. Um, and, uh, you know, as a firm and reviewing this regulation, we had quite a few concerns and we question how effective this is going to be. But again, like most things, this remains to be seen. Yeah, it, it can be very, very problematic. I mean, frankly, I, I know somebody who was on Matley for quite some time, came back and uh, they were a manager and they got there. Yeah, it says, you, you still have a position here, but you're not a manager anymore. We don't need as many managers. Uh, which I guess is a pretty good case for for for, for dismissal at that stage, uh, constructive dismissal in, in circumstances like that. But I, I knew the the individual quite well, and she said, "Look, I need the job. What am I going to do? I, I you know I, I know I just got kicked in the pants here, but there's not much I can do about that." Well, from a legal standpoint, there is though, isn't there? Yeah, it's, from a legal standpoint, you are entitled to be put in your position or a comparable position. So. Sometimes it just so happens that because of restructuring or genuine things, your role does not exist, you know, in the 18 months between you leaving uh, uh, for pregnancy and Matt leaving you returning, right? Mm-hmm. The key is, though, that you're put in a comparable role. So, you know, I'd obviously need more information on how comparable. If she did have sure. a, 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 you know, if, she, if her pay was the exact same, her benefits, everything else, um, and they stripped her of, significant managerial duties or all of her managerial duties, that could certainly be an issue. And it's possible that she could uh, pursue constructive dismissal in that situation, just like anyone can when your rights and your duties and responsibilities are fundamentally changed for the worse by an employer. Yeah, she. I, I, that I don't know. She works for one of the well, major financial institutions here in this country, and, the, and I have no idea what the management things were like. But she was pretty upset about it at the time. Uh, anybody who has questions about this, and and it's, it's going to happen all the time because there seem to be changes almost daily now from either the federal or provincial government about employee standards and 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 the, the rules and regulations. Uh, employmentlawyer.ca is a great place to go to, uh, or you can get in touch with the folks uh, like Andrew Goldberg at, uh, at Stamfuro to Market LLP and. The, and ask the questions because it's a it's it's a troubling time and, and a lot of the time we're just not up to speed on a lot of the stuff that's going on uh your phone must be just ringing off the hook andrew from people saying hey how does this impact me oh it's all, all the time non-stop so uh you know you hit the nail on the head it, with all the changes happening at such a rapid speed i mean this regulation came out two days ago right yeah. so you know we're lucky we're fortunate we can have these calls every week because um things are changing so rapidly that there's quite frankly just so much to to speak about that's entirely different from the week before so i'm getting calls all the time you know we're we're staying on top of everything on our end and we're doing what we can to help as many people as possible and we'll continue to do that well we look forward to these conversations uh, stay well my friend and uh, we'll talk again next wednesday andrew yeah i appreciate it very much i hope you're well too Take care. Andrew Goldberg, of course, from uh, Sam Fuhrer to Mark and LLP. Uh, and check out that webpage if you have questions, employmentlawyer.ca. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
Lots going on, of course, on both sides of the border. Protests about the uh, the terrible incident and the death of George Floyd uh, a week ago, Monday now, of course, in uh, Minnesota. And uh, the uh, protests continue. Uh, the reaction to what some of the elected officials have been saying and doing in response to this has been almost as alarming as, as some of the undercurrents and the reasons for uh, the, uh, the, the, the protests that have happened over the last little while. Uh, it's always, th- th- you know, when you listen to our leaders in times like this, uh, you look for them for inspiration, you look for them for, for bringing people together, and it doesn't always work out that way, especially with some of the comments from some of the leaders on this side of the border uh, who look down there and say, isn't that awful what's happening in the United States? Thank God we don't have that sort of racism in Canada. Uh, words to that effect, anyway, including, well, just the other day, is what Premier Ford had to say. They have their issues. There's no doubt they have their issues in the, in, in the U.S. and they, they have to fix their issues. But it's like night and day compared to Canada in the U.S. I'm proud to be Canadian. I'm proud to be the Premier of Ontario. Uh, and I know Canadians just won't tolerate it. Uh, it happens. Uh, it may not be happening where Doug Ford hangs out these days, but uh, it's certainly happening. Uh, there was a response to uh, what's been going on from uh, the Hamilton chapter, Black Lives Matter. Uh, they've released a, a list of, of things that they would like to see the city ha- undertake, and the province for that matter, too. I want to bring uh, Kojo Dampty into the conversation here, the manager of programs at the Hamilton Center for Civic Inclusion. Kojo, thank you for uh, jumping in today. really appreciate the time. Yes, no problem. Hey, so before we get to this list of Black Lives Matter, uh, you, your reaction to what the Premier said yesterday? <laughs> Well, you know, I keep on, I keep, I've spoken to the media a number of times, and I've said Canada is not immune to racism. Canada actually was built on racism. So um, the, the events that happened yesterday where the Premier said that is something that Canadians keep uh, saying all the time. Our mayor does the same thing. Our elected officials here do the same thing. So, again, uh, Canadians always have this idea that uh, racism doesn't exist here in in Canada, but they are deceiving themselves and they are in high disillusion that they would think that nothing is happening here. Well, in response to that, I'm going to talk about the Prime Minister in a couple of minutes here later on in the program, but uh, I know that uh, during one of the Q&As yesterday, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau actually had a kind of a different angle on that. He said, the last thing we need here is another white guy telling you that racism doesn't exist here in this country. We need to listen to people and we need to be empathetic to them, which I thought is a much better approach to take in situations like this. Yeah, but then I also think we need to move beyond that empathetic, right? Yeah, because yeah. Uh, there have been there's been many people that have done work that have said, hey, look, these are the things that you need to do to change this. And none of those things have taken place, right? So then uh, 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 the idea about being empathetic or people coming together, that doesn't solve the problem. What solves the problem is we take actions. And if we're not going to take actions, then when you say, oh, it's time to come together, uh, uh, we are one race, uh, there's no racism, uh, we, there's no room for hate in, in, in this country. Yeah, you can say that, but if your actions don't depict that, then that in itself is, again, racism. I'm looking at this list here. And, and I know, as I said, there was a, a rally yesterday, and a number of folks uh, were there at the rally, uh, Sarah Jam and many others uh, that we've had on the program in the past. And uh, I'm looking at, the, at some of the things that they've asked uh, for the city and for others and for the province to get involved in here. And as I was reading it, Kojo, I thought, boy, this looks awfully familiar. This, this is, these are essential, the same sort of things that you and I talked about some months ago when you were trying to make a presentation with the Board of Education at that particular time. Uh, and, and, and to your point that you've just made here, here we are having that same conversation now in June, and nothing has happened. Exactly. And so that is why, that is why I think there are two things happening on one level. One, uh, our elected officials and other institutions, McMaster, the school board, and, and other post-secondary institutions, don't want to take the actions to address anti-black racism and anti-indigenous racism. But then they want to put out statements to say that they are in support, they are grieving. How is McMaster going to put out a statement saying that they are, they are supporting their youth when they have a, a, a head of security that has been found to, to engage in racial profiling, right? So I think 
if these institutions and these the, the, the leaders of these institutions aren't going to take actionable, concrete steps, then they should stop putting out these statements. We talked about uh, some of these things, but I just I, I want to briefly touch on them because we don't have a whole lot of time here. But uh, you want police to stop ticketing and surveilling people who are homeless? I think we've had that discussion at the city for like, God knows how long now. Uh, protect people counter-protesting the yellow vest groups. So those are, of course, in reference to the rallies that have been happening down in front of the City Hall forecourt for the longest time. And there's a, a great deal of concern, very legitimate concern, about the way that that was handled by the city and, and police services. Uh, removing police from schools, the the officers that, uh, that you've talked about as well. H- has there been any conversation about any of these things in the past, Kojo? Yes. I mean, these, things, these, these conversations have always happened. Uh, we've met with elected officials. We've 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 said all of these things. Uh, we've met with leaders. Nothing happens. And you know, for your viewers listening, I I really want people to to pay particular attention to this. Police budgets across this this province, Hamilton, 171 million. Ottawa, 319 million. Waterloo, 182 million. Halton, 162 million. London, 123 million. Like, we're living in a global pandemic. People need access to health care. And yet, we're spending this amount of money on policing. And policing really, really, there's evidence to show that they're engaging racial profiling. When they interact with 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 uh, racialized communities, people either end up being assaulted or, or or losing their lives, right? Like we need to ask ourselves these questions: Is it do do we want a Hamilton where taxpayers' money 171 goes to policing, whereas 151 goes into transit, healthy uh, neighborhoods, and agencies and boards including our libraries our conservation authorities like is that the the society we want to build it's a question we need to ask ourselves there, there needs to be a paradigm shift i mean that that seems to be the the the, the root problem here and i'm, I'm sure I, I don't know if you saw the, the meme that was on facebook actually i, I reposted it myself uh, and, and it seems to echo what's going on. The, the, basically, what it says here, here's an example of how white privilege sounds. It says, you keep saying it's horrible that an innocent black man was killed, but destroying property has to stop. And instead, what we should be saying is, it's horrible that property is being destroyed, but killing an innocent black man has to stop. Uh, it, it's, it's all a matter of perspective and, 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 and how we're looking at these things. Exactly. And, and, and that, is, that is the point that many countless, countless, Racialized leaders, indigenous communities um, have have been saying from time, right? Uh, I always cite the example: I wasn't born in this country, right? But here I am, doing some of the work that people that were born here did in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s, and the same uh, uh, ask that we are we are providing today is the same ask that they, they uh, 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 the the elders and ancestors did. So that means that there is no progress and institutions are not listening. And so if for uh, uh, 500 years, 100 years, 50 years, 20 years, people are not listening, then now we're going to get to a point where we're going to say, hey, look, you need to do these things. Enough with the, with the symbolism and the, and the platitudes and the statements. That means nothing. If you're not going to add, then you're put, you're actually perpetuating the the ideas and the behavior of racism because you're literally erasing what has been said and what we are saying. Kojo, always a pleasure to have you on the program. Uh, as always, thank you so much for this. We'll stay in touch. Thank you. Kojo Dampty, of course, uh, from the Hamilton Center for Civic Inclusion. How the leaders of, of our country and respond to this and, and Kojo's points bang on. I mean press releases and statements are one thing. Uh, but we're judged by our actions, not just by the words that we use in circumstances like this. And there was an interesting moment uh, yesterday uh, during the Prime Minister's daily briefing uh, where he addressed the protests. Uh, one of the reporters asked him essentially to comment 
about racism, uh, what was going on in the United States, and, and, and of course the comment on Donald Trump's actions. So don't, don't put this in perspective. This was a, also the day after the, the now famous you know Bible photo op that uh, Donald Trump did in Washington. So there's a lot to talk about there. And I guess there was this anticipation when the reporter asked the question as to exactly uh, how the prime minister was going to respond. Because let's face it, if you if you trash Donald Trump, there are obviously going to be ramifications. But this is this is what went on. We all watch in horror and consternation what's going on in the United States. It is a time uh, to pull people together, but it is a time to listen. Before he made that statement, and he went on to expand on that, uh, there was about a 20-second delay where he said nothing. And uh, I know that some of his critics have, have jumped all over him and say, well, he got caught off guard. I don't think so. If you watch the, the, the tape of that, or if you watched it as it was happening, uh, I got the sense that he knew exactly what he wanted to say. He just wanted to make sure that he crafted it properly and he wanted to get the message across. And I thought it was a very poignant moment. I want to bring Christopher Waddell into the conversation, professor at the School of Journalism and Communication at Carleton University, an expert in political journalism. Uh, Chris, always a pleasure to have you on the program. I hope you're doing well. Uh, I am, Bill. Hope you are as well. Yeah, yeah, we're you know st still sticking it out at home here, but we're hanging in there. <laughs> Me when you too. watched, when, yeah, yeah, exactly. When you watched the prime minister yesterday, what was your response to to the now famous twenty second delay? Well, I think your point is quite well taken. I, I don't think he was caught off guard. I think he had to expect the question, and whether he wanted to pause for twenty seconds or 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 fifteen seconds or whatever, don't really know how well it was timed. But I think the Part of the issue is, of course, and, and your previous guest made note of that, people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. And we have our own problems to deal with in this country that go back a long way in terms of our treatment of Indigenous people and more recently with racialized communities and also with police police relationships with all those. So if, if we're going to start to comment on what goes on in the United States, then we have to expect um, people in the United States to start doing that to us too. And, and um, Mr. Trump is a pretty good stone thrower. And uh, and so um, that's if you open yourself up to that, um, I think it creates a, a greater series of problems because we have a we have a relationship with the United States on a lot of issues. And Mr. Trump has already proven himself to be pretty um, unpredictable and willing to do things uh, vindictively. Um, you might remember his little temper tantrum after the G7 summit in, in mm -hmm. Quebec. Um, so we don't really need to leave ourselves open to that, particularly at a time when um, we still have huge issues with the United States, not the least of which is what's going to happen to the border later on this month. Um, and and we, you know, those open borders are very beneficial to Canada, um, both for our tourism industry, which we desperately need to get back on its feet to help a lot of people get their jobs back. And um, I'm not advocating an open border. I don't know what the answer is going to be. But, but if you do something to inflame the United States at the moment by offering um, comments from the sidelines, I don't think that really helps the interests. It helps you in the issues you have to deal with the United States on. Exactly. I, I mean, there were a handful of people that criticized the Prime Minister for for the 20-second delay. Uh, but I think they missed the point of, of what we're yep. about. Uh, Don Martin wrote about it in the National Post. I don't know if you saw his yep. piece today. Uh, it did. says, Justin yep. Trudeau managed to condemn without commentary, to convey disgust without decibels, and to muffle any Trump backlash without saying a word. Now, this Don is a great guy. We've had him on the show many times. Yep. Uh, he's not going to wave the pom-poms for anybody. So for him to issue something like that means he got it. I, I thought it was a measured answer. I mean, if, if, if the Prime Minister just rattled off an answer, you would have been accused of, well, there's your pat answer to Donald Trump. But he thought about it and measured it, and I, th I thought it was a brilliant answer, really. The other thing that he didn't do is he didn't mention Mr. Trump's name at all. Exactly, and, yeah. And that also, um, Mr. Trump um, ha has a very high opinion of himself and his own importance and his own value, uh, and um, any time you raise his name, it gives him a chance for him to come back at you um, vindictively one way or the other, and you don't really need that either. And you also don't need that sort of stuff going on on, on, on the broader level when you've got your own problems to deal with at home. Well, and the other element to this, too, is we live in the age of sound bites, don't we? I mean, yep. you know, reporters, and I'm one of them, for heaven's sakes, you know, you want that 10 or 15 second clip that you can play from here on in. I mean, how, ma how many more years are we going to listen to John Cretchen's out of proof is a proof is a proof? I mean, you say something in the spur of the moment and it sticks with you forever. And I, I'm, and the prime minister's been, you know, vilified for doing that in the past, I think, as, as all political leaders are. Uh, and, you know, so and to more step than back that, for, More than that, though, Bill, more yeah. than that, in the current environment, what you do say then gets taken and sometimes uh, re-edited and changed and circulated oh, yeah. and recirculated on social media for um, not necessarily just to enlighten the public, but for people who have whatever interest they might want to uh, promote. So not only by saying something, not only are you leaving yourself 
um, open to the, the soundbite issue that you talk about, which is things not being in context, you also leave yourself open to having someone distorting what you say, uh, re-editing it, um, trying to pass um, fiction off as fact, and all those sorts of things. So sometimes um, not saying anything is perhaps the best approach at all. Well, and to, to that point, uh, and, and to the point that uh, Kojo made just before you joined us here, Chris, uh, I think our elected leaders are on notice right now that we're tired of the pad answers, and, and let's let's have yep. some, some standard discussion. And uh, and m- maybe that's going to be the start of it. I don't know, but uh, it, it certainly looks as if we're looking for these guys to to pick up their game. Bill, don't be too optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I love you having know, you come on I, the show, Chris. You always I, you, you ground me on these things. Okay, I, I hate to say it, and I hate to be too cynical, but. Um, Things when things happen like what have happened in, you know, I, being on, um, being stuck at home for the last two months. Let me watch some interesting television. And one of the things I watched was um, the um, the series about Vietnam that was done by Ken Burns. Mm-hmm. And several of those ep- episodes, the later ones, there's a ten part series, but the seventh, eighth, ninth episodes, which is all about mostly about what's going on in the United States in, the, in response to the Vietnam War, in response to the assassinations of um, Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy, the violence that was going on in the street. I mean, I was only I was a teenager then, but um, the violence going on in the street in many respects was worse than what we've seen in, in the past week or so. And you forget all that sort of stuff. And yet we end up going back to where we were before rather than actually making real change. And hopefully that's not going to happen again, but unfortunately... I would, I would sort of be, in my cynical version, say that too many times we've gone back to where we were before. The world hasn't changed. Um, the adage that nothing will ever be the same again doesn't turn out to be true. And um, sometimes, at some point, it needs to. Exactly. Uh, Chris, as always, thanks so much for this. Uh, stay healthy, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this in the uh, days ahead. Great, Bill. Thanks very much. Take care. Christopher Waddell, of course, professor of uh, journalism and communication at Carleton University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review. 911. 911. What's your emergency? Ah, I'm on a cruise ship. Ah, there was an explosion. Oh, my God. The ship is sinking. I can't get out. There's water everywhere. We're going down. I've got a lock on your location. Stay with me. Hurry. Hurry. Hello? Are you there? Help is on the way. Angela Bassett and Peter Krause return in an all-new season of 911 on a new night. Thursday, March 14th on Global. Stream on Stack TV.